They say it's in your blood, a game that can't be won, only played. A love affair, it satisfies the soul and frustrates the intellect. The greatest game ever played, golf. It's real. And this is Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper, son of legendary golfer Billy Casper. Talking golf with you for more than two decades. And now, here's Brian and Bob. Thank you very much and welcome to this week's edition of Real Golf Radio. Wow, did I love that open. Maybe this week more than ever, it is the greatest game ever played. And I have to remind myself that because the professional game that's being played right now and all the challenges surrounding it have uh, worn me out a little bit this week. Wow. What a news week in golf. I don't remember a December that had the kind of news week around golf that we have had this week. The USGA announcing golf ball rollback and John Rahm puts on a Live Golf Letterman jacket, hits Fox News to let everybody know he just took a bunch of money to leave the PGA Tour and go over to live. Yeah. I think he wants to be the first billionaire um, Spanish golfer from Spain, and uh, it's going to be pretty crazy to see what what transpires and what goes on, especially with the framework agreement and what PIF is trying to do and what the PGA Tour is thinking and that kind of thing. This opens a big kettle of fish for the PGA Tour right now, and I don't think a lot of guys are happy about it, it either the golf ball or this. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned kettle of fish because it does stink right now yep. uh, around here, and sort of makes you wonder what what is the fan perspective? What what are the fans going to think about all of this, and how does it affect that? What is the future of the PGA Tour? Not that it hung on the balance of John Rahm and his career or any other one player, but the direction and the trends that are currently happening between Live and the PGA Tour. I'm telling you. I've watched this play out over the last year with the Pac-12 into extinction. Uh, Jay Monahan on his uh, interview that he did recently mentioned that this live golf is presenting an existential threat, and that's exactly yeah. what it is. This is a precarious time for the PGA Tour, that, and it must be navigated very carefully so that they don't end up in the same situation that the Pac-12 ended up in this year. Pac-12, by the way, over 100 years. Right? So it can happen. Yep. But anyway, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this golf ball rollback. Very excited to welcome Thomas Pagel, the uh, USGA's chief governing officer, back to the show. He was just on with us a few weeks ago, and kind of, he's kind enough to spend a few minutes. Dean Snell also, who's a golf ball giant, been around for a long time, gives us some perspective. Caddy will join us as well. Stay tuned. You're listening to Real Golf Radio. Back to Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. All right, welcome back to the show. Brian and Bob with you here on Real Golf Radio. This segment is brought to you in part by Black Desert Resort. Check out blackdesertresort.com and find out about all the details of how you can play this uh, new Tom Weiskopf Championship Design Golf Course right in the desert. Phil Smith, who architected it with uh, the designer Tom Weiskopf, said it's a perfect blend of Kona, Hawaii, and Sedona, Arizona. It really is spectacular with the black lava rock uh, right there at the base of the Red Mountains and the green grass, white sand. Really, really 
amazing. Come down, check it out. Also, exclusive real estate opportunities available. You've heard the PGA Tour is coming next October. LPGA Tour scheduled for May of 2025. So a lot of things are happening. This is a destination that you definitely need to check out. BlackDesertResort.com. All right, thanks again for joining us here. So much to unpack. Uh, the USGA's announcement, John Rom leaving to live. I just wonder what your dad would think right now, Bob. I wish he were still around to ask him his perspective. You know, Billy Casper, a guy that won 51 times on the PGA Tour, and the, the state of the tour as it was back then. And the appreciation around the fact that there was a stage like the tour for them to be able to go out. I'm sure he had his frustrations over the years with the tour, as everyone would have. But at the same time, the opportunities that it presented him. And now here we are on this massive money grab with um, essentially a, a foreign entity that has come in with the intent on taking over professional golf to the sense yeah. that it is right now leaving golf in a precarious situation. The PGA Tour professional golf, I should say, is in a precarious situation. And as I said in the open, they need to navigate this very, very carefully. Yeah. What would your dad think? What is your what is your thoughts as you uh, listen to the, the news about John Rahm leaving and, and what that means now for the PGA Tour and for Live Golf, frankly, going forward? I think you and I both uh, were hoping that this wasn't necessarily the case. Um, we respect John Rahm and his ability and what he's been able to do with the game and how he jumped into the forefront of the game, winning in his first year there in San Diego, um, coming out of, after coming out of school, and then what he's been able to do. The you know the wins that he's had on the PGA Tour now two major championships, um, and I was just hoping. I was just in my mind. I was just pleading that that this wasn't necessarily the case. I don't know for sure what my dad would have said. Um, I, I, golfers are in it to um, make a living. At least that's the way my dad. My dad was in it to make a living. He didn't play the British Open all that much because he felt he could stay home and play on the PGA Tour here in the United States and make more money for his family than than when he then taking the time to go over to play in the British Open. So, um, you know, when you're looking at it to support your family and that kind of thing, that's one thing. And and the guys on the PGA Tour are making a boatload of money with the ability or the opportunities that they have to make money on the PGA Tour. But when you throw in obscure amounts of money, like crazy amounts of money, almost like Hey John, we really want you to come play live. Here's two hundred million dollars. No, that's not enough money. I'm not moving for that. Well, what about four hundred million? Well, that's nah, that's not enough money. Okay, we'll give you six. Really, you give me six? Okay, where do I sign? I don't know. I don't know what that negotiation was like or whatever. Oh, and I want a team, and you're going to have to give, you're going to have to add four more players to your list of forty-eight. Um, Shoot, I you know I just don't know. It's befuddling. It's almost like it's cyclical. It's it's happening again, like it did 18 months ago with the likes of Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson and 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 uh, all the all the rest of them that decided to leave from the PGA Tour. Um, you know, maybe they're grabbing the money because they think they're going to have an opportunity if things work out with the PGA Tour and PIF and. Uh, um, their agreement, 
So let's just jump in and grab it right now, and there'll be a way back in. Uh, I I don't know. It's really befuddling to me, and I'm I I'm kind of disappointed. Um, I I expect a little bit better, especially from John Rom. Good comments there, Bob. Uh, the one clarification I would say is I remember your dad telling stories about he and Gary Player sharing hotel rooms while they were out there yeah, on tour. absolutely. So they didn't really have the luxuries afforded them today by today's players. No. Your dad won 51 times. There isn't a player alive today that will win 51 times on the PGA Tour. You got guys, John Rahm just got paid a half a billion dollars. The man has won 11 times on the PGA Tour. So right. to, to suggest that your dad wouldn't be able to afford to go play the British Open because he had to stay here and make a living. Now, again, travel no. was different back then than it is yes. today so do you see what i mean like everything is different but you're, you're you're right at some level it's about taking care of your family here's the thing that when john rom takes to the stage and he's asked these questions over and over this is basically a summary of his comments i think it was at the u.s open uh a year ago ish uh and this yeah. is and this is what he had to say shotgun three days to me is not a golf tournament no cut it's that simple uh, i want to play against the best in the world in a format that's been going on for hundreds of years like, will our lifestyle change if I got 400 million? No, it will not change one bit. Truth be told, I could retire right now with what I've made and I've lived a very happy life and not play golf again. So, and for a lot of people, I'm not gonna lie, those next three, four years are worth basically their, their retirement plan they're giving them. It's a, it's a very nice compensation to then retire and sell off to the sunset. So, what changed? And you know what? I believed him. And that's the part that gets me upset is I believed him. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying, again, I said this last week, if these if, if the rumors were true, that's what I said in last week, if the rumors are true, something had to have changed. Because I'm taking John Rahm at his word that he, that he doesn't play for monetary reasons, that he's in it for legacy and the love of the game and all of those kind of things, his place in history. Well, right now, his place in history could be the death knell of the PGA Tour. Yeah. I don't want to be over dramatic and overreact. I mean, there's still plenty of time to salvage all this, and who knows what the agreement is. But it looks to me as if Monaghan is... Painted into a corner here. And Piff continues to double down and say, you like that? I got more. I can do this again and again and again because it doesn't matter to them. It the, doesn't matter to them. The but, amount of money and that kind of thing. You know, and when, it doesn't when make this, any sense. There's no market no. value to this. Golf is not worth no. this much. No, no, not at all. You know, when, when all this, when this agreement came about and then Congress got involved in it, you know, in the Senate and everything, and they said, okay, you guys can't poach each other's players, and or or that's what the, the agreement was, that they were going to poach each other's playments. Well, now there's antitrust stuff that the government comes in in the middle of it, and, and they just said, nope, you can't do that, antitrust, restraint of trade, or restraint of trade, and it opened it up for everything for John Rahm to be able to go over there. Well, and so. you know what? It, you can't really play the government card because there's oil involved. So it's a it's a pickle, man. I think honestly, they you know Yasser and the Piff have played these cards unbelievably well, and and I think they might have just had a little checkmate moment there. But we'll we'll see what happens. By the way, the golf ball rollback that was big news before the John Rom thing. Uh, <laughs> we we got to hear from Thomas Pagel from the USGA and uh, find out a little bit more about what what this is and how it affects you. Thomas Pagel in the USGA and the golf ball rollback next right here on Real Golf. Radio. You're listening to Real Golf Radio. Talking golf with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. One day you'll get it. Here's Brian and Bob. All right, welcome back to Real Golf Radio. Brian Taylor, Bob Casper, really pleased to be joined by our next guest. He's 
kind of been the man of the week this week, has been on all the different uh, golf and news outlets talking about a big rule change in the game of golf. He's the chief governance officer for the United States Golf Association, and he's a good friend of ours for a long time. Thomas Pagel joining us right now. Thomas, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Good. I mean, what's the last few days been like for you? A bit of a whirlwind, huh? It, uh, it has been a bit of a whirlwind, but it's been, uh, it's been nice to really be able to get out and sort of talk uh, about what's coming with, uh, with respect to the golf ball. I mean, as you guys know, this has been a, a debate for decades, and we've been going through what we call our equipment rulemaking process uh, for at least the last three years. Plus, we had a research project ahead of that, so it's, it's been talked about a lot. And uh, I think, frankly, the golf world was, was looking for closure, and so to be able to come out and offer some of that closure and speak to what the real impact will be when it takes effect, it's, uh, that, that part's been a relief, frankly. You know, the process, um, when you do make rule changes or model local rules and that kind of thing, is that you have a comment period. What did you guys learn during the comment period with, regarding this? Yeah, so so I'll just step back. So what, what we announced this week is, is the overall distance standard, which is how we test golf balls. It's been in place since 1976. Uh, it's always been intended to essentially regulate how far a golf ball can go when it's in, when, when the uh, it's used by the longest player in the game. So in 1976, we tested at a club head speed of 109 miles an hour. 2004, we updated that to 120 miles an hour, which is about a 176 ball speed uh, for our test. And as we look at the, the longest players, the top players on the worldwide tour, and frankly, the elite amateur game, they're achieving ball speeds much, fa- much faster than that. So uh, effective in 2028, we're going to update it to um, 183 mile an hour ball speed or about 125 mile an hour club head speed. Um, so look in March, we came out and we, we suggested changing this test at a faster speed, 187 mile an hour, uh, ball speed or 127 mile an hour club head speed, but doing it as a model local rule, right? So essentially, uh, the governing bodies had said, is it time for the rules to sort of split and offer bifurcation where the elite game would be playing under uh, a different set in certain instances of equipment standards? Um, I will tell you guys, I was, I was surprised and, and I probably shouldn't have been just how loud and how overwhelming the feedback was that a unified set of playing rules and a unified set of equipment standards is really important to the game. We heard it from the tours. We heard it from the tour players. We heard it from the PGA of America. We heard it from recreational golfers. We heard it from our state golf associations. Everyone was really struggling with how are you going to define elite? How are you practically going to apply this? Uh, recreational golfers were saying, but I like the fact that I can play the same ball as players at the highest level. So it was loud. Um, and that really forced us to step back. And so what we're announcing today is again, not taking effect until 2028, but it's going to be a change across the game for all golf balls that are tested. Thomas Pagel joining us. And yeah, that was now that that's on the table. I think there's a lot of people that are, you know, there's, there's reactions, right? There's reactions to this in both sides of the coin, which has been interesting. One is it an immediate reaction. I thought Mike Wan addressed that pretty good saying, Hey, look, I think he used the word ambulance chasers and overreactors and things like that for people that are just going to just go pile on and, and act like the game is ruined. So, and then there's the other side of it that maybe wonders if this is actually going to have the impact that it needs to have. So can you kind of address how it's going to apply to the, the tour player, the, the recreational player, and what, what, how big or, or minimal that impact will be. Yeah, I think, I, I think the important thing 
is as, as we think about this as golfers, like let's, let's react to facts because, you know, even last weekend, uh, there was a little bit of information leaked and people started to assume it's going to be 10%. It's going to go through your bag. And so there was a lot of people reacting saying, I can't believe they would do this. Well, the reality is, is, um, testing at 183 mile an hour ball speed. Uh, another, let me step back. Another important part of the feedback we heard, again, this was across the game was make sure you m- minimize the impact on the recreational game, which is we committed to that when we, uh, issued our distance report back in 2020 saying any solution will have minimal impact. And so we actually, that's why we slowed that testing speed from the 127 mile hour club head speed down to the 125. And at the 125 club head speed, the recreational golfer is going to see five or less yards impacted. And just based on, on launch conditions, swing conditions, it's really going to only impact the recreational golfer for your driver. So for, for you and I, as we're out playing, we're going to see, you know, five or less, um, again, that's assuming that, that, uh, club head speed of mid nineties and down. Um, and it's really going to be limited to our drivers. So by the time we get to our second shots, we're not going to experience any reduction. If you look at more of the elite level, uh, so PGA tour elite amateurs, probably closer to nine to 11 yards. And then as you get to those players that achieve ball speeds that are at or above what we're testing at, so 183 miles an hour or faster, you're probably looking more in the 13 to 15 yard range, but even those players, by the time they get down to about their five iron, aren't going to see a distance reduction. Interesting. So, so what, what about, what about people that like Brian was talking about that are on the other side of the fence that maybe it's not enough. Yeah. I mean, and this is uh, guys, it's a, it's a great example of governance is hard. Um, this, this really is. And, and I mean, you guys have lived it, you've heard it. It's sort of a divisive topic where people have strong opinions on both sides. And so when we went into this, we, we knew we weren't going to make everybody happy. Um, but our job in governing the game, the role that we play um, for, for the global game is really understanding perspectives, which is why those comment periods are so helpful. I mean, we can work with the international golf community, understand viewpoints, uh, take those viewpoints into consideration. And frankly, we, we did a lot of bobbing and weaving over the last three years based on where we thought we might end up. But at the end of the day, you just have to step in and make an objective decision and the decision we wanted to make really our sort of the Northern star was how can we have meaningful impact with minimal disruption, right? So if we were to, if we were to do more at the elite level, it would really have a greater impact on the recreational game. And we hear loud and clear the concerns people have, whether it's their own game or whether it's a PGA professional and their membership about, I don't want people, I don't want recreational golfers losing distance. Well, if we try and do more on the high end, you're going to have a bigger impact on the recreational game. We didn't want to do that. But then we also have on the other side, a lot of people saying, just do less, right? Don't, don't do so much, do it less and do it more often. Uh, and that, uh, that one we struggle with as well. I mean, that's not really fair. Uh, and it's not, it's not fair to players to suggest, you know, every five or six years, we're going to be updating this standard and you're going to have to switch and figure out a new ball. And it's certainly not fair to, to R and D staff at ball manufacturers just to say every five or six years, we're going to revise the standard. So, we really wanted to identify something that again would have that minimal impact on the low end for the recreational golfer be meaningful enough to where it's going to reduce the longest players by 13 to 15 year or 13 to 15 yards, excuse me. And then we can just step back as a governing body, let the game evolve. We fully expect, I mean, this isn't going to stop distance. It might slow it, but it's not going to stop it. Fully expect that, you know, 15 years from now, yardages will probably be similar to where they are now. And, and we might have to act, but at least in 15 years, we won't be 15 yards longer than we are today. 
Thomas Pagel, USGA, joining us. So um, some people would say, and, and they'll listen to you say right there, we might need to act. And they'd say, why do you need to act at all? The game is so healthy. It's growing. It's it's uh, thriving, you know, even more and more are coming to the game. It's already a difficult game to play. And this feels like it's going to make it harder and might make the barrier of entry even greater. In, and, and so that's a that's a, a concern that they have. How would you address that and why? What are the whys behind making this change and, and what positive impacts will it have for the game in the future? Yeah. I mean, for, first I'll say there, there never seems to be a good time to make a hard governance decision. When, when the game is strong, when the game is healthy, don't act. Uh, when the game is, is at harm, perhaps the economy is going down, well, don't act. And so again, we felt that for the long-term health of the game, we needed to step in and make this, uh, uh, take this action or make this decision. Now, again, not taking effect till 28. Uh, for the elite game in 2030 for the recreational game. Um, but look, as distances have increased and, and we, we look at this, this isn't something new for us. We, we issue an annual drive distance report every year where we're monitoring distance uh, across the elite game, not just the PGA tour, but really the elite game. And we see a pretty consistent and constant growth. And that, that growth has been over the last 40 years. I mean, if you go back to 1980, the PGA tour is 43, lo- 43 yards longer following the 2023 season, 43 yards longer in 43 years. That's what we, that we've seen that trend forever. And so if we sit back and wait and 20 years from now, we haven't done anything. uh, The elite golfers are going to be 20 yards longer. And there's a strong correlation that as golfers at the highest level continue, as their distance continues to increase, golf courses continue to increase. And we're not just guys, we're not talking about, you know, the 45 golf courses that the PGA tour plays on, uh, or the four major venues. As you think of elite golf, you got to think of state amateurs, state opens, the collegiate game, national championships outside of the U.S. Uh, there are thousands of courses uh, across the globe that host elite competitions, uh, and many of them are finding themselves facing decisions. Do they try and lengthen? Do they invest money to move bunkers? And it's all a result of distance games. And, and we're really the only sport that says adjust your venue based on distance, right? I know hmm. Mike Juan, one, one of his favorite analogies is, you know, the green monster. That mm-hmm. would be like telling folks, you know what, we're either going to have to push it back another 50 feet or we're going to have to go up 30 feet. Like it would baseball fans want that. The answer would be no, but yet for whatever reason in golf, we're okay changing our stadium. We're okay changing our venue and we're okay placing that burden on the golf course operators and owners in order for them to make those adjustments. So, it really is about the golf course. It's about long-term sustainability. It's not about making the game harder. I mean, there's nobody at the USGA that wakes up every morning and says, you know what, what, what decisions can we make to make the game a little more harder so people don't want to play it? We actually do the opposite. We wake up every day. We go through that door at the office. We think, how can we make the game better? How can we get people excited about the game? How can we make sure that the game is not just great today, but 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? that it's equally as great so that those that come after us yeah. can enjoy it and have fun. So you've mentioned um, the timelines, uh, the elite game in 2028 when those uh, changes will be made and uh, the average or the regular player in 2030. Why, um, why is it waiting so long to implement these things? So, so both points are, uh, we're, we're part of the feedback period, frankly, uh, manufacturers came to us and when, when we had suggested the model local rule, we said, we're going to test at this high speed of 127 and we wanted to take effect in 2026. And as we had discussions with them, they 
said, look, if you could go lower, please go across the board. Although not every manufacturer, believe it or not, wanted across the board. There were some that preferred the model local rule. Um, but they said, more, more importantly, we need time. Like we can develop a golf ball in two years, like the R and D cycle, we can make that happen. But if you're asking us to put equipment in the hands of the best player on the planet, planet, you know, we need to uh, have time to test. And so we thought that that was very reasonable. Again, it was very consistent across all the manufacturers. So we're going to give them this four year runway. And we've heard several of the manufacturers offer comment already, already uh, this week, you know, thanking us for that. Um, so that was important. And then that delay of two years for the recreational game, that's really just practical, um, right? You know, recreational golfers, you're going to have uh, balls in your trunk, in your garage, in your, in your golf bag. And we wanted to make sure that in 2028, 2029, go out, use those golf balls, play the game, enjoy the game, post your scores to the gin system, you know, update your handicap and enjoy it and have fun. And two years time, you know, retail shelves will begin to cycle over. Uh, those balls in your bag will cycle over. And by 2030, we would expect that everybody's playing the same balls. Thomas Pagel with USGA joining us here on Real Golf Radio. Big announcement. The golf ball will be rolled back. Uh, at least a, a distance correction. I'm not sure exactly how you're going to couch it, but but that's that's the idea, right? It's going to come back. So I, I want to go back to this real quickly because people are reacting, and I just want to talk it through. It helps me to understand it, and hopefully it'll help our listeners as well. If I'm out on a PGA Tour event in 2028, and I'm used to watching my favorite player tee off and, and bust a driver out there 350 yards, I can still go out there and watch him hit it essentially 335 yards. Is that kind of how I'm hearing this? That, that's exactly right. And, and look, I mean, as we watch the best players uh, and even as we play our own games, you know, it's really tough to discern between 340 and 350 or in our own games. You know, if you're going to lose three yards, you know, 232 versus 229, I, I don't want to minimize the fact that people are upset about change. I get that. Um, but the reality is, is distance is still going to be advantage. Guys are still going to chase it. Uh, we're still going to be in awe of the best players, and we're still going to be able to uh, enjoy the game ourselves. Yeah, and so, for, and then from us, if we're out there playing it, when we hit drive, we're going to see an impact off the driver, right? That's kind of where this seems to go. That's the big yardage is coming off the driver. But then you said once you get below your five iron, it's really not an impact because if I'm thinking, if I'm taking off five yards, again, that that's really nothing. You can miss hit things. But let's just say the ball has changed so that if my miss hits actually cost me maybe 10 yards. Is it going to be again with my approach shot or is it mostly primarily based on that tee shot where I'll no- notice the most impact? You're going to notice the majority of impact uh, w- with your driver. I mean, our our engineers and our scientists, you know, they, they run all the simulations. And by the time you see your five iron, you're putting so much spin on the, on the ball, especially as a recreational golfer, that, you know, the, 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 if the manufacturers address this through aerodynamics on the golf ball, it'll have zero impact on your swing. Mm. And, and the last thing I was going to ask you, how, how do you suspect that they will, you know, change those things? Is it going to be you know, aerodynamics, is it going to be spin rates? Is it going to be core? Is it going to be like, or is that completely up to them? It's completely up to them. And that's, that's one of the things with, with the overall distance standard test. We don't tell them how they need to construct their balls. We don't regulate dimple patterns. We don't regulate, you know, drag, or we just say, hey, look, you design your golf balls. It can't weigh more than this. Can't be bigger than this. And when we, when we fire it at 125 miles an hour, it can't go further than 320 yards. And then, the innovators, the engineers, the, 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 the individuals at the manufacturers that are really just so good, they're going to figure it out, and they're all going to come up with different ways. Um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll see how they approach it. 
last thing for you, Thomas, is it seems like the the faster you swing, the bigger the impact will have. Is that by any means going to encourage not swinging as hard? I know that sounds weird. Or or will you still hit it further if you produce more club head speed? It, look, the, the, the relative distance isn't going to change, right? So I don't think this is going to stop somebody from trying to swing and, and achieve a ball speed of 190 miles an hour, right? You're seeing these college kids that are speed training. I yeah. think they're going to continue speed training, continue to have an advantage uh, in distance. I mean, every generation, um, it seems like you have those players that have the distance advantage, and this isn't going to change that. But again, what it'll do is it'll slow that pace of growth so that uh, hopefully there are few and fewer golf courses that feel the burden or feel the pressures to respond to it. I'm going to be one of those guys that's not an alarmist on this. I, I took, I didn't, I didn't comment for a, a couple of days on purpose. I wanted to kind of absorb it, learn a little bit more. My, my approach to it is that the tour players are still going to figure it out. They're that good. I'm not going to notice that much of a difference. And by the way, if I am hitting a nine iron or a pitching wedge into a par four at a six thousand, four thousand feet where I live, instead of a, a a gap wedge or a lob wedge, I'm okay with that. I wore yeah, out my too. eight iron when I was a kid because that's what you had to hit into the par fours. Now I wear out a set of wedges because, I, and I rarely get to my seven or eight iron. So to be honest with you, it, the game will be there. It's a different test. And if we shorten it up a few, like you're still out there playing and enjoying. I don't think it's one of these things where suddenly you're going to go out there and, and get bored with it. Cause it feels like you're hitting a marshmallow. That's my reaction to all of this. Am I kind of on the right track here, Thomas? Uh, look, yes, I, I would say you are. There are people that would argue with that, but I would say that you are. And the other thing too, I mean, as, as, as recreational golfers get shorter golf course operators, owners, if, if they want players to be playing from the same landing zone, if they're concerned about this five yard difference, there's an inventory tees likely in front of them, right? You can pick right. up those T markers, put them on the front of the T pad or move to the next one up. If you really want to be hitting wedges in. And so there's a way to address it. And, we have heard from, from some players saying, well, I already play the forward tees. Uh, this is going to impact me. If you're playing from the most forward tees already and you have that limited carry, your swing speed is such, you're probably not going to have any impact as a result of this change. I like it. And look, if you get beat up too much, I already offered you that olive branch. You can just give us the relief in the fairways and it's everything, everything goes away. So just use, just know you've got that card. You can play it at any, at any time, you know? So I'll, I'll keep that ace in the pocket, you know, (laughs) Thomas, thank you for your time. I know you've been, uh, very, um, you've, you've been busy this week. You're in high demand and we appreciate that you would take a few minutes to visit with us. I always enjoy catching up with you guys. Thanks for having me. You got it. Have a great weekend. Happy holidays. That's Thomas Pagel. He's the USGA's chief governance officer. And again, big announcement this week. We'll talk more about it here on Real Golf Radio. Now, back to Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. All right, welcome back. Thanks again to Thomas Pagel for joining us there from the USGA. You know, he's been in high demand and has definitely spent a lot of time on every media source out there and so for him to spend some time with us we really appreciate that if you're not following us on x at real golf we'll post that for you there you can also search for us where your favorite podcasts are found at real golf or real golf radio is where you want to search um let's spend a a little bit more time on this before we get back to the john rom scenario and by the way let me just say i really was looking forward to talking about the grant thornton this week I really wanted yeah. to talk about that. I mean, Tony and Nelly are playing together. Super excited about that. And I think this whole format and this event is 
is a positive step for the men's and women's professional games. And it's unfortunate that it's overshadowed by these two huge stories uh, this week in golf. But uh, nevertheless, talking about the golf ball, I, I said it there with Thomas. As I, I withheld my opinion for mm-hmm. some time, and I, I first I, I wanted to say, my first reaction was, why now? Why in the middle of the best era in golf things are humming along man there's more people playing things seem to be just going really really well why why mess with it i guess that's the that was my yeah. my my first question my first reaction and and then i sat and thought about it i wanted to learn more i said i'm going to withhold comment till i find out more what does this really mean for the average player and we're going to hear from dean snell coming up on the back nine who is, owns over 40 golf ball patents this guy was um uh, super smart dude that was making parts for Blackhawk helicopters before he got into the golf industry and worked on the first Pro V1 tour professional stuff all the way to 18 years with TaylorMade. Now he owns Snell Golf. But so this guy knows a thing or two. So we'll talk to him about that. But I wanted to know what what is it about this that is going to affect me and how is it going to affect my viewing of professional golf? And yeah. what Thomas explained there, and my understanding is because whenever a golf ball rollback was mentioned, it was like, oh, yeah, people are really going to love going to watch professional events when the best players in the world can, can't smash it out there. Like, that's what we love to see. Well, it sounds like they're going to be able to still smash it out there. So that's the first thing. Second yeah. thing is, is why mess with my game's hard enough? Why are you messing with me? I'm just a nobody guy. Why do I have to now hit it shorter? Five yards or less? Really? Five yards or yeah. less? And I, I get how cheeky it sounds to move the tee box up five yards, but that's essentially how insignificant or inconsequential it actually is to the average player. Now, that's why I phrased the question as to, well, what about those that are saying, why do it if it's going to be that inconsequential? But I do see that it slows this trend down. And the point that they made that you can always move tees forward, we're just running out of room to move tees back. I actually yeah. can appreciate that, and uh, I don't think it's the big jump off a ledge, have a big fit that some people have, have made it out to be. I think the game can be just as enjoyable. I mean, that's my perception of it now. Maybe yeah. when it all rolls out and comes out in the wash, I'll be like, oh, man, that's way worse than I expected it to be, or that's not at all what I thought it would be, and it'll impact me a little more, and then I'll have a reaction then. But uh, we'll, we'll find out more about that from Dean Snell. But that, that's my take. I don't know if, if you agree with that or, or disagree with that. Well, when this all started to come about initially, you and I talked about it quite a bit on the show, and we talked about a 10% decrease or a 20% decrease across the board, and those numbers were staggering as far as – what could happen as far yeah. as rolling the golf ball back. But when you're talking about, you know, 15 yards for the elite players game, um, anywhere from three to five yards for the everyday amateur player or other players in the game. I don't know. I, that's why I asked the question, is it enough? Um, did you do enough um, with what you were trying to do um, in in making this, and I and and it seems to me like they're not trying to roll it back. It seems to me like they're trying to stall it, to stop it, um, and to give it a little bit of a hit so that it doesn't continue to escalate as fast as it's been going. All they did was hook a heavyweight trailer to the, or maybe not even exactly. a heavyweight, but a sl- slightly weighted trailer. Yeah, barely, right? It's still going. It's just slowing yeah. down just a little bit. 
Yeah. So, and I, the thing about it is, you know, with like the thing about it is with engineers and all that kind of thing, they're going to push it to the limit and get it to the limit. The players are going to adapt. And you know what? Before too long, we're going to be right back to where we're right now. Did you see the caddies video that he sent out that was from Golf uh, Australia? About, uh-uh. about um, oh, shoot, I forget the name of the tour pro now. Ah, anyway, he was there with uh, an older tour pro from Australia and a commentator, uh-huh. and they basically went through a, a little exercise where he hit his current gamer and current, uh-huh. you know, driver and ball, and right. then they went persimmon driver. Uh-huh. And then, by the way, this was a brand new persimmon driver. It took the plastic, right. so it's not like an old aged thing. So he goes right. persimmon driver with current ball, and then he went persimmon driver with old ball yeah and then current gamer driver old ball and i'll tell you what this it's all about the spin that's what it did is that's what it is and then with the ball because of the persimmon driver being smaller he teed it down which by the way dean snell's gonna talk about and when you tee that ball down now you get a little steeper on it and uh this guy's like yeah it took him a while he he missed it right and left and all kinds of spin but what what he did is good athletes. He started to slow it down a little bit so he could control it a little bit better. So the, the, it's interesting. There are different ways of trying to affect the game. It's a completely different game. And I think what I learned from that is the best the players will adapt to whatever's put in front of them. And today's players have learned how to just put as much clubhead speed as possible because it doesn't even matter if you don't hit it on the quote unquote on the screws with the driver anymore. And the balls don't spin very much. And so even if you miss hit it. The COR or whatever is going to keep it in place, keep it in play, mm-hmm. and the golf ball isn't going to spin offline. So that's how you had to do it. And Bob, you know, they, they, they were saying Bobby Jones would have learned how to play the game that way if that's the equipment he had to play at the time. Listen, I, I grew up playing persimmon drivers. I grew up playing wood drivers um, and wood fairway woods. They were so much more difficult. There was a bulge and roll for gear effect in the golf club. Okay. The golf club had, had a little bulge to it right in the middle. Cause that's where you wanted to hit it, hit it on the screws. That's, and the screw was the insert that was in the middle of that persimmon golf club. That's where that term came from. So if you hit it in the toe gear effect would bring it back from right to left, back to the middle. If you hit it in the heel, gear effect would bring it back from left to right. That's how that's how that golf course or that golf club was was set up. Well, as golf clubs kept getting bigger and bigger, faces became flatter, and you know the sweet spots became bigger, and that's what we've we've gone to. You had to time it a little bit better and swing it not as hard with that persimmon club and with the gear effect and everything and now you can just go ahead and flail at it and hit it as hard as you want um, and swing at it as hard as you want and that's what creates all the distance and why we've had all these advances in distance it's fun too by the way it's more fun hitting today's drivers than it was hitting those persimmon drivers the purists will argue that point there is something sweet about it i get it but it's a lot harder and it's a lot more fun now to just go ahead and bust it out there we got to take a short break we'll wrap up hour number one more on this topic on the back nine as i said dean snell still to come so stay tuned for that you're listening to real golf radio You're listening to Real Golf Radio. 
Talking Golf with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. One day you'll get it. Here's Brian and Bob. All right, thanks for joining us here on hour number one of Real Golf Radio. You heard from Thomas Pagel, USGA's chief governance officer, about this rollback. Again, recreational players, five yards or less is the impact. Okay, five yards or less uh, for most people. Elite players, nine to 11 yards, and then the highest of swingers will get 13 to 15 yards perhaps and that's if you're hitting that 183 you're exceeding that 183 ball speed that's just pretty pretty amazing so uh, we'll see how that goes again we'll hear from dean snell coming up on the back nine hour number two more on this from a manufacturer's perspective caddy's gonna stop by as well and of course uh the grant thornton going on this week um you've got the pga and the lpga tour players playing together in an event that i think was one of the more meaningful new events on the pga tour schedule super excited about it it's really super unfortunate that this news these two massive news stories basically are washing this event out um i guess they had to get it all in before next week when tiger and charlie are going to tee it up because nobody wanted to (laughs) interrupt that one apparently yeah and uh, wow, um, like you said, we haven't seen this in probably our 24 years. We haven't seen this type of a December happen as far as news stories. Yeah, there's no question about it. We'll talk more about it on the back nine. Hour number two of the show next. Next.